0: Jesus and his disciples were making their way to Jerusalem. Along the road, Jesus took advantage of the teachable moments he had with him, moments when he could explain what he was really after, what it really looked like to be someone who followed him. He told them, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and the branches that are bearing grapes, he prunes back so they will grow even more. I want you to live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. I know it's hard to understand, but it's just like these branches. They don't bear grapes by themselves. Only when they are joined to the vine do they produce fruit. I'm saying that I am the vine and you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relationship is as close as it gets. It's organic and as natural as breathing. Then the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you won't produce anything. You'll be dry, brittle, dead, gathered up, and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. You wanna bring glory to God the Father, then bear fruit and prove that your life is about following me.
1: So you may have recognized that young lady, that's Sharon who played bass for us today. She's part of our internship program here at First Christian Church. She brought to us a passage of scripture we're going to look at today. But before we get there, I would like to tell you about a young boy who lives in the San Francisco area. His name is Mac. He's 12 years old in the seventh grade, and uh, he loves basketball and video games. And one of his favorite pastimes is to go fishing with his father. He also has a sister who is a professional journalist, and uh, she had this to say about her little brother, Mac (laughs) My brother, Mac, is freakishly wise. I don't know if it's because he's a much younger kid hanging around lots of adults, or perhaps he's just an old soul. But the seventh grader can drop major knowledge. Every so often, we'll be sitting around the dinner table or watching TV, and he'll blurt out some comment that'll make my jaw drop. So before Mac hits the teen years, I wanted to sit down with him and ask him what he's learned about life so far. And his answers are not only shockingly deep, some of them are downright hilarious. And these life lessons you're about to hear today are direct quotes from Mac himself. And there's some great truths in them. And I also have this question that is, um, what's the backstory to each statement that he makes? So just listen to see if these truths are not lessons that you might have learned along the way. For example, number one, never eat too much candy. It feels good while you're eating it, but it feels bad later you ever experienced, that's a life lesson, right? You've, that's, I know that, okay? Or, when arguing with your parents, give up. You'll never win. <laughs> that's true, right? If any, any 12-year-old's in the room, you need to know that, all right? Here's one that I wish adults would learn, that I would probably wise to learn, too. When you get money, don't buy the first thing you see, look around. Yeah, I and mean, that's a good idea, right? 12 years old, little boy, wondering about girls. He goes, Girls don't need to wear all that makeup. They look pretty good the way they are. I'm with him on this one. Comfort before style. I hate pants. Number seven, I'm uh, probably number six here. There's got to be a backstory that I wish we knew. When you're at school, never take an altoid from someone you don't know. It's probably not a mint. Ooh, doesn't that sound awful? Okay, seventh grader. Okay. And then again about young ladies. Send compliments to girls in texts, it makes them feel good, I think. Good lessons for a little 12-year-old to learn, right? Great lessons for someone in their 40s to learn, somebody in their 80s to learn. What lesson do you need today? It's often the question that those of us who are pastors are faced with each week, but probably a better question that we probably would be wise to ask is not what lesson do you need, but rather, what lessons do you need Jesus to say you need? That's a far better question, right? I have an answer for that today, and it's uh, as part of our ongoing series looking at different conversations that Jesus had with men and women in the weeks, days, and hours leading up to his death. Uh, We've been doing this for a number of weeks now, and today we're going to do the same thing. We're going to look at the Gospel of John, and if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, the Gospel of John is about that far through the Bible. I'd invite you to take a Bible from the pew rack in front of you if you don't have one with you, and you can see the page numbers on the screen behind me, or this conversation that Jesus is going to have. We're actually, We're going to step into the middle of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home that's in the pew rack. Seriously, you can have it. It'll be our gift to you today, all right? We're going to read John chapter 15 to see what lessons we could learn together here. Jesus is speaking, a conversation with some men gathered around him, maybe some ladies as well, but we don't know that for certain, but here was what we read. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine." Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, catch this, verse 5, apart from me you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, however... So he's got the one side on the one hand, things can be burned. If on the other hand, you remain in him, if you remain me in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Hmm. All this stuff about pruning and cutting, and you know, getting u- rid of useless branches. And well, it, it kind of hits home for me right now. We we have a tree in our front yard that's. Been a problem for me for a number of years. I took this photo of it just this week. It's, um, it's a Canadian maple tree, and so it grows very, very slowly. We planted it six or seven years ago, and it's getting to be in a very weird and odd shape, and I, I don't really know how to prune it. Now, I, I've, I have somewhat of a green thumb, Leslie says, and so most things that I plant uh, grow fairly well. Leslie says, Wayne, you plant... You grow, she'll mow. It's a great deal. Okay, so, so um, she loves to mow the grass, and so I do the best to make certain that it's growing well. And I take—I mean, we've got rose bushes that are absolutely lovely in the summer, and we have all kinds of perennials. And I, I don't struggle at all in saying, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hack those things down to the ground and start over." Uh, you can see those roses again. I took those photos this week, and you know they're about this high right now. And this week. Uh, or next week, depending on the weather, I'll just take them down five, six inches from the ground. And by, by the middle of the summer, they're going to be up tall and flowering and absolutely lovely. And I pay attention to them all summer long. And I'm not afraid to get the, you know, the shears out and, and make some adjustments as we go along. We have um, shrubs around the, around the house. And it's nothing for me to go out and, and just kind of, okay, we're going to start this over. And, you know, and the good news is those things always come back very quickly. And kind of respond, but I don't know what to do about this tree. So if you have some brilliant advice on how I can get that tree to look a little bit more shaped like a nice um, Canadian maple tree, I'd appreciate that because right now it's not happening. And uh, I was thinking about this week, that this week as Jesus talks about pruning things that are not any good. And I'm going, okay, there's that branch that's kind of like at two o'clock there that just is... Well, what's with that? And if I showed you more pictures, you'd go, this tree's not, how, it's not doing well. It needs some pruning. What's Jesus going on about pruning here in this passage here? And he wants to do some pruning of the branches that are connected to him, which are in the vine. He's the vine. What does it all mean? Well, let's see if we can put the setting in place. And once we've got the setting, we'll have a better idea of what Jesus is getting on about. May I remind you then that John chapter 15 is hours, if not less than an hour, before he's about to be arrested and executed within 24 hours. He knows that that's coming. As a matter of fact, if you look back earlier in the passage and earlier in his conversation with his disciples, he's quite aware that this is going to be very difficult in the days ahead. and As a matter of fact, in the hours, if not minutes ahead. And so you've got this very intense conversation pre-Calvary And he knows that his death is coming in just hours. And it's significantly different than the way things have been just a few days before that. We think John 15 is probably on a Thursday night. And that just the weekend before, like our little kids did for us, that when Jesus and his disciples arrived in Jerusalem, that the crowds actually with great glee waved branches and welcomed him and his entourage into the city. And yet Jesus knows that, man, its going to. the tide has turned already. Things have already been put in play that are going to lead to his death. And it's this very intense moment. And it's a very intense moment for his disciples. And that's who's listening. The audience are his followers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus Christ. We know that he had 12 male disciples. He would have had some ladies as well that maybe they were in the room serving dinner. They're all sitting down at the table and they are talking and Jesus has this big moment. Hey, I am the vine and you're the branches. You've got to remain in me or else you're going to get lopped off. These aren't just potential converts. These are people who are like many of us in the room here today, who have chosen to follow Jesus, and they have tied their life plan to his life plan. And he's teaching anyone who will listen. And so regardless of your status here today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're invited to not only listen in, but to really pay attention. If you're a potential follower, then I would suggest that you overhear what Jesus is saying, because what is he saying? He's saying, hold tight to me. Hold tight to my life approach. And we can put it this way, look at life through Jesus-styled eyes. As a matter of fact, according to Jesus, if we don't do that, if we don't remain tight to him and don't remain grafted and held into his vine, there's some very dire consequences. Verse 6, for example, Says that if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is what thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's like that that branch I have on that tree at two o'clock, and you know I'm going. What am I going to do with that useless branch? Is this the time to cut it? And should I cut it? And so forth. Or verse five says that if we don't view life or the culture or our world through Christ-like eyes. Apparently, we accomplish nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This means that God, we, we need to be certain of God's plan, that God's will for our lives and for this world, we need to access that. We need to be certain that it's our life focus. And for some in the room, that means, well, how's it going to go this week? Some in the room are going to have to go to work this week. And you're going to face situations and you're you're going to be responsible to clean up the mess that somebody else made. Does that sound familiar in any way? Well, I didn't create this mess, but look what I've got to do now. How do you do that? How do you get Jesus' eyes in the middle of that? You know, what does it mean, if you will, to have a servant's heart without losing personal dignity and a sense of self-worth at the same time? Well, look at how Jesus did. Flip back to chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, and you'll see this conversation started. The meal started with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Scripture tells us that he got down on his knees. He actually took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and here we see the Son of God, the leader of the world, of the cosmos, serving Apparently, a high and mighty attitude, I deserve it kind of attitude isn't appropriate. And you go, well, how is that going to work? Well, may I remind you that Jesus was no less the Son of God because he served people. In fact, through his service, we see his glory, his personality, his dignity, and his sovereignty are all magnified. And we see them more clearly. They are heightened, which then begs the question. Okay, if I'm supposed to do that kind of life and look with those kinds of eyes and I got this branch in my tree that's off to the, to the side, here's the question that's begging to be asked. What needs pruning in your life? Perhaps, for some, it's a relationship that needs a better contour. It needs better shaping and it needs... Um, It needs to be more focused around how would Jesus want me to have this relationship? Maybe some things need to get cut off. For sometimes, some people in the room, might even mean a bookend where we say, this relationship is not God-honoring and it needs to end. There are others in the room that maybe what needs to be pruned is um, maybe a life approach that you have that's all about suspicion. (laughs) Do you know that That's not the way in which God wants you to live. Always looking for the bad thing to happen. Each of us as human beings are made in the image of God. And as image bearers of God, if you will, God does indeed want good things to happen in our lives and to us for all of eternity and for even right now. And I need to tell you, friend, if you have that kind of conspiracy theory or that kind of conspiracy approach, Not everybody's out to do you in. And the people of this church, particularly, we want to say, we want to cheer from the sidelines. We want the best parts of your life to be magnified and heightened and to be seen. And allow God to prune that conspiracy viewpoint that you would take on. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps for others, you need to change a life approach. You need some pruning in regards to anger. Anger. Because anger is part of your life far too often and far too quickly. Let me explain it this way. Thomas Halliburton was a 19th century uh, fictional writer who coined a lot of phrases that have made their way into the American lexicon and, and uh, vocabulary. For example, he, the, the statement, he won't take no for an answer. Do you know that you've heard that statement before? That was a, originally written by Thomas Halliburton. And these idioms that Halliburton created were often ascribed to one of his characters who was in a series of books by the name of Sam Slick. Isn't that a great name, Sam Slick? Sam Slick was a... Um, In all these fictional books, the stories were set in pre-revolutionary North America. So this is going back to before 1776, and Sam Slick would go places, and he would meet people, and uh, one day he goes and meets somebody, and the guy is known for being angry, and Sam Slick makes a statement that Halliburton has written, and it's the statement that goes, uh, well, that fella, he's known for flying off the handle for nothing. You ever heard that statement? I imagine... What does it mean, flying off the handle for nothing? It refers to somebody who loses their temper far too quickly and too often, and it seems like everybody around them gets damaged. What does that mean? Well, think about the life in the 1800s or the 1700s as compared to life we know it is today. In those days, you didn't walk in the room and simply turn up the thermostat to get it warmer or turn it down to get it colder. There was no electricity. You didn't get to go to the stove and push a button or turn a dial and get gas to come up or to, um, to uh, get electricity to come to cook. Everything was based on what? Wood. If it was cold in the winter, you had to go find some firewood to put in the stove and heat up the room and heat up the house. If you needed to cook something, you couldn't just say, well, there's some heat right there. No, you had to create the heat by getting wood and burning it in the oven. Where did that wood come from? The wood that you cut down, you needed a decent axe. Everybody in, in every household would have a number of axes, and those axes are axes just like today: long wooden handle with a big, heavy metal on the big, heavy metal head on the end. Hopefully, secured to the end of that wood very tightly, because if you start hammering and the head comes off, what happens? It flies through the air, and that heavy metal head could become embedded in someone else's head. You don't want to see any head come flying off the axe for nothing, right? That's what Halliburton or Sam Slick was saying. That guy over there, he's known for flying off the handle far too quickly. Hmm, A dangerous missile coming our way. And when it would come, everybody would duck because it's going to hurt somebody. Does that describe you? Is that the branch that you've got hanging out at two o'clock and you're going, I don't know what to do with that. I wish I knew how to cut that off. Huh. You can't do it by yourself. Sure determination isn't going to make that happen. Instead, through the work of God, God can prune that And we get to, if we allow God to prune our lives, we get to go from not only being image bearers, but we get to also become fruit bearers. In other words, we are invited into a story that is larger than us. We're invited to a story and a life approach that mirrors God's best plan for this earth, for this community, and for your life. I want to ask you, are you up for that? Are you up to say, okay, if Jesus is the vine and the Father is the gardener, I want to remain connected to the vine and I want my Father in heaven to cut off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, I want it pruned so I'll be even more fruitful. Oof, painful, right? It's going to be at times, but it can't be done by you. It's done by God. You can allow it to happen, though. Here are some ways in which you can allow it to happen. First of all, you have to get connected to the vine. You have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to deal with these issues and these, these branches that are out there that you go, man, I, I, I got to deal with that. No, you can't deal with it by yourself. You've got to be connected to the vine and the gardener has to be the Father, God in heaven. How do you do that? Make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's simple. Be a disciple. Get in the room where these disciples are, where they're listening and they're saying, we are following Jesus Christ If you're not following Christ and you say, I've got this thing hanging out here, all you're doing is behavior modification and that doesn't work, does it? Because eventually you go back to your nature. But to have your nature changed, God says that when we come to him, we become new creations, that the old things pass away and become new creations. We are made new. We are developed in a new way. The old passes away. All things become new. So step into the room with the other disciples. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, step into the bigger story of God's plan. God's plan regarding your life approaches and choose the sometimes painful act of pruning and allowing God to cut away useless branches. And I want to tell you, as a congregation, we can help and we want to help. Maybe you want to join a grow or serve together group where other people around you can, in the life of this church, they can help you see places where you go, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me how to fix this problem with the help of God? Or on the other hand, Maybe you need to simply call the church and say, I need some help with this. Can you explain to me how I can get God engaged in this aspect of my living? We're not experts, but we're willing to listen, we're willing to pray, and we're willing to bring some experience to it. When you say, what do I need to do? Let us help you. Let this church help you. And then, for some of you today, you need to declare that you are connected to the vine that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And for those of us here at First Christian Church who have walked our way through this, this is how we understand it, that if, if it means becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, the first act of discipleship that we see around here is that we expect people and invite people to be baptized. That's the biblical, that's the biblical pattern. And we've got some people who are planning to be baptized today. We had a number of people get baptized last night, and, and uh, we got I think some folk who are planning to get baptized at the end of this service today. There's the folk from last night. Isn't that a great photo? Uh, we, get, we had 11 people get baptized last night. I just love it. And so I would suggest today, if you're saying, hey, I want to get connected to the vine, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, or I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but I've never even taken the first act of discipleship, then can you change that today? Here's how you can do it. We've heard from some. They're already planning. But if you're here today and you hadn't planned to get baptized today, but you go, man... I, I, I want to make this happen. Then I would invite you today to to hear this. We are ready for you. If you've never been immersed before, we're ready for you. The water is warm. That's good news. We have clothes that you can change into, of all sizes that you can change into, and and we've got. If you, my hair, my hair. We've got people. We got a hairdresser upstairs, set up, ready to go for you. Okay, we've got towels. It's all set. We've got people who can do makeup upstairs. If you want to come out a whole new you, go get baptized. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> Here's how it's going to work. Here's how it's going to work today. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to leave the room at the end of that prayer. And if you'd like to step into baptism today and say, okay, I want to get some things pruned. I can't do it. I'm not just going to do it by determination. God's going to work in me. And the first thing I need to do is commit my life to Christ and become a disciple. And I'm going to be a disciple by doing what? First thing in scripture always is get baptized. Maybe that's for you today. Maybe you've never been baptized before. You've walked with Jesus for 45 years. Come on. Let's make it happen today. All right. And uh, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to leave the room. We'll see who we see out in the law. And when I leave the room, if this applies to you, you leave the room with me. And uh, there's a couple things that are going to take place in the next five or six, seven minutes while we get ready. And uh, Pastor Robert's going to come and lead us through communion, lead the congregation. And if you're getting baptized today, you can skip communion. It'll be all right. All right. All right. Jesus understands. And um, we'll go from there. Okay. So here's what I'd like to do. Let's pray together congregation is going to have communion and during that period of time we'll see what happens in the lobby and upstairs in the baptistry area and in the meanwhile uh, hear the heart of God calling you today to say get connected to the vine and allow God to work in you let's pray together father hmm, there are people in this room Lord with all kinds of stuff going on and Lord I'm one of them we got lives that are busy and full of events and calendars, Lord, that just seem to go on and on and on. and In the middle of it, God, we want to take just a moment, a, a big breath and do an evaluation of our lives and say, where are we connected to you in Jesus Christ and yet where are places where we got useless stuff going on in our lives and it needs to be pruned. It really is, Lord, a pretty simple understanding that you're in charge. And uh, I pray, God, that you would continue to draw us nearer to you, that that our connection to you would be stronger and stronger every day. Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't yet know you and is kind of struggling with this, I pray, God, that you would call them to you and that, Lord, all of us wouldn't just do behavior modification, but we would step into the new you you want us to be. For some God, maybe that's baptism today. We pray that you do this great work in Christ's name, amen.